This is the Arm Subject Matter Expert Podcast, hosted by Justin Poulin. Tune in every month as we speak with industry experts to highlight success stories and solutions from the field that advance the healthcare supply chain. And now, Justin Poulin with this month's expert. This is Justin Poulin from Power Supply, live at Arm23 in Orlando. We are talking with Natasha Roberts, Strategic Sourcing Manager at St. Luke's Health System. I've got an incredibly unique story for all of you today, and it's one tied to well, managing your managed services provider. We all have talked about it at the conference all week. I've heard about it, some of the financial pressures that are facing healthcare organizations. One of them is agency staff and temp labor and dealing with the rising costs of having clinicians come in to make sure that you can meet the caseload demand in your facilities. And so, Natasha, you signed a contract right before the pandemic broke with your managed services provider. So I, this is going to be an interesting story because it basically blew up right after you got started. Thanks so much for coming on the Arm SME podcast. Thank you for having me. So that must have been a pretty unique situation. I know you've got some experience working with HR and in other industries. And so, you know, managing a contract around, you know, a services provider is not something that's foreign to you. I am betting, though, that the variability in the rates for paying for labor was probably something you had not faced or encountered before. Correct. I'm assuming all experienced. The pandemic required all of us to to pivot, especially with the gaps in talent and immediate need on the, especially the clinical side of the health systems. We had transitioned our managed service provider, and we're ready to implement the new contract in January of 2020. And then, of course, when the pandemic hit, we immediately had to pivot and rethink all the terms and conditions that we had just executed and be very fluid in finding solutions for our health system to meet the immediate needs created by the pandemic. Yeah, that's pretty crazy because it's not like that was the only problem you had to solve at the same time, right? And so you've got this contract, it's brand new, you're in the midst of implementing it. And this is an area that all of a sudden became very unstable, right? There were clinicians that were probably going home sick that had to be treated for COVID themselves. And yet at the same time, you've got people coming in the doors like never before. And you're trying to manage all of that. And you have not even a stable program that's been established because you were mid-implementation. How did that all play out, especially once you found out what was what was about to happen? Was that one of the first calls that you made? Or because of, obviously, all the various roles and responsibilities of strategic sourcing, again, this wasn't the only thing you were responsible for. Was this something that you just kind of knew inherently, I better get like on top of this because we're mid-implementation? Yes, absolutely. And I think amidst the chaos, just establishing who who does what. Yeah, I mean, initially, we, it was all hands on deck for things such as masks, but then delegating who would focus on that and then realizing that our agency or talent needs to be the primary focus, especially, as you mentioned, with just the strain on the talent pool and those leaving the talent pool and also those that may 
have COVID or think they were exposed at that time. So that became the primary focus with internal and also external as well, the combination of both meetings multiple times a day to address the vacancies, the immediate needs, the emergencies, and the possible rates that may accompany that, that needed approval from an internal standpoint. And then also how we get the, the professionals through the door. And I'm also thinking <laughs> another obvious dynamic, I think, is the fact that every health system was trying to find people that would be able to come in and work and supplement the staffing model that they obviously that had just kind of blown up in their faces. So like availability of clinicians, right, was another challenge. I mean, I know that's part of the reason that the rates were so variable and that they were increasing, you know, substantially, you know, supply and demand. You know, we're all very familiar with that. And, you know, you had to motivate nurses that might have wanted to stay home. I mean, there were a lot that nursing population, and again, I have that background in nursing. We were told when I was in nursing school, we're going to have a crisis in our in our hands, you know, after the year 2000, because they're all going to start aging out of, you know, their careers. They're going to hit retirement, and have we have we really replaced that workforce yet? But they were also in the demographic that was the highest risk, and then we were asking a high risk demographic to come and take care of you know, our patients. And so I'm sure that that rate variability was also about, do nurses especially even want to come and work during this time? They felt, I'm sure, a responsibility and at the same time, you know, as scared as everybody else was about the situation. How did the managed services provider kind of bring solutions to you? How did they, I'm sure it wasn't just rates you were looking at, you had terms and conditions that couldn't be met either, right? That is correct. And although... Prior to COVID, there are terms and conditions about force majeure. In my experience, I I had never really had to lean upon or understand what force majeure was all about and where that left the responsibility of the managed service provider and the healthcare system. So it was just a common understanding of, of this is something no one has dealt with before and learning to come together with that managed service provider and become creative with them in our central staffing office and our HR and our strategic sourcing, our clinical and non-clinical leaders and, and just create how the new reality would need to go forward. And sometimes that was a change in process. That was a change in policy. That was a change in everything besides rates. And it was just being fluid and doing what was best for the health system as quickly as possible. What did you learn about specifically around force majeure that maybe, like you said, you were like, I never really had to think about it, you know, to this level of detail or in this light. What what was it that, that really presented itself to you that, I don't want to say it was a blind spot, but maybe just something that you know, wouldn't be a normal consideration in the normal, you know, daily activities of doing your job. So in, in other industries, in, in doing the job, force majeure had always been thought of like a hurricane. While those are terrible, at, at some point the chaos stops and you know what you're dealing with. And then there's kind of recovery and getting back to a normal. Whereas 
what I learned is that force majeure in this instance was outside of the current contractual terms and conditions and definition. I mean, it, at least at that time, the verbiage was rather vague. So with that, you had to find a, a new statement of, of how, okay, where do we go from here? I understand it says you're responsible for X and I'm responsible for Y, but the fact of the matter is we need people. How do we work together? How do we solve this? And that's, it took all of the managed service provider, our central staffing office, our HR, even our marketing and how we attempted to obtain the clinical professions. It, it took everything and just redeveloping into what was required to have assistance on the clinical realm of staffing. Were you basically renegotiating the contract in the midst of implementation? Yes. Wow. So you did all this work. You had this agreement. You selected them. You got the contracting done. You put it into place. You started to implement, and then you completely undid it, started renegotiating all the terms in this new environment. At the same time, that has an impact on everybody who's working on the front lines, right? And you alluded to this, but I asked you a few follow-up questions, so I want to go back to it. But you talked about meeting you know, several times a day or several, several times a week. You talked about central staffing. Who all did you meet with, I mean, this is almost like a crisis response team, right? In, in so many ways, who was at the table, who was talking and what, what were you making sure that you were addressing? Cause it, it sounds to me like if you're meeting several times a day, this is a real time conversation that is ongoing. Yes. And kind of how it would flow is that of course our leadership would be in consistent meetings throughout the day, all sitting in a conference room, of course, distanced, socially distanced, and attempting to address the emergencies for staffing in other areas as they arose. And then that information would filter out to HR, our central staffing office, strategic sourcing and our managed service provider as far as we have these immediate needs. We need them filled within this time frame. If we need to make the contract this many weeks as opposed to that many weeks, fine. We just need someone through the door. And then these rates, yes, we're redeveloping those now because those on contract no longer apply. But how far will we go? What is reasonable? If there's a range, what do we attempt but also try not to lose the individual in attempting to negotiate as well. So it, it was just, again, a, a process in flux and being developed as we went along. I can, I have this sense of like sort of the emotional state when you're trying to negotiate that is I have this responsibility not to bankrupt my organization. I have this responsibility to my community to make sure that the, patients that are coming into the, our buildings are able to take care of, be taken care of. And then yet at the same time, you probably don't feel like you have a whole lot of leverage because like you just said, you don't want to lose the candidate because you're playing quote unquote hardball. And yet that's kind of the nature of the job is to find that, that balance. That must've been an incredibly stressful time. It was more so for, of course, our clinical team and their leadership 
but stressful also in the sense of how to develop the internal teams along with the managed service provider to ensure that everyone had a seat at the table and their perspective, their challenges, their immediate needs were being heard and accounted for. Yeah, I like the way that you operationalized that so that it wasn't like we made this decision and we only had, you know, one one goal in mind or one perspective that we chose, you know, to be the most important in making the decision. You had everybody coming together collaboratively. I'm assuming you're not still meeting two to three times a day at this point. How did that evolve and do you still have meetings? How how consistent? I mean, because it's still an issue with the rates, but I don't know that we're feeling the crisis, at least not at the same level that we did before. Correct. Yes, we transitioned away from meeting multiple times a day and into the night to establishing a cadence. So now strategic sourcing, the central staffing office and our managed service provider meet weekly. And then we also have an additional meeting with the CNOs and HR and of course, the central staffing office and strategic sourcing and the managed service provider monthly as well. That way, different individuals with different leadership perspectives have visibility into what the rates currently are, the challenges, and can also have somewhat of a discussion real time as to what are we willing to do as far as lowering or raising rates to get the positions filled for the need of the health system. But again, if there are immediate needs that aren't being resolved on a weekly cadence, we have been known to ramp that back up and, and meet as need be to ensure that the vacancies are being filled. I feel like I've had some conversations before where, you know, supply chain isn't always involved, you know, or strategic sourcing isn't always involved in central staffing. A lot of times I hear about that and the contracts being managed by human resources. I can only imagine what other organizations without this baseline structure must have been going through because of obviously the asset that supply chain can be and, and you know, in your role, strategic sourcing, how critical that can be in that strategy, the experience and the expertise and, and having, and you had to be able to manage those terms and conditions fluidly and quickly. And so you really did need to have that kind of experience to know what you were wading into as you were redeveloping that. I can't imagine what other organizations have gone through or went through at that time without that footprint or that foundation of strategic sourcing's involvement with their managed services provider. Because I have seen that in, in many organizations that I've worked with. They just don't have that connection. If anything, you know, it's a recommendation. Supply chain should be involved in this, especially with the variability we're seeing today. Did that foundation that you built meeting? Cause, you know, again, a lot of the conversations that we have are about creating relationships with the clinicians and the staff. But also, I feel like you probably have strengthened relationships with central staffing and human resources. Like in the end, overcoming this adversity has got to have brought you and everybody that's involved in this team more closely together and improved your communication. Absolutely, yes. While we understood the importance of each area of the health system, we were, um, <laughs> I don't want to say forced, but when we needed the expertise and the input from each area, 
and we leaned on each other to solve the issues that needed to be solved for the patient. Yes, those partnerships, those relationships grew, and now it's almost just default that we proactively go to HR, central staffing, and I feel as if they come to strategic sourcing as well and our managed service provider to brainstorm, to even prepare for the holidays, flu season, that kind of thing. We're already discussing in our meetings currently regarding how do we prepare for some of the agency staffing whose contract will be expiring around the holidays, which is also the flu season. It's more of a proactive stance now that those relationships have allowed. Now that we've leaned on each other, built those, and they've matured, I, I feel as if we're seen as internally a unified unit and making a decision without all of the variables and all the appropriate representatives from the different areas seems, I mean, it's no longer acceptable. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that proactive approach. And I mean, you're talking about the holidays and it's August right now. That's really, really ahead of the game, I would think. And so you built that foundation but you really built upon it and said, wait a second, we probably could have done better before, but we just didn't, you know, have that level of urgency. We always, you know, and everybody in healthcare is like this. We just find a way to make it happen. We just find a way to make it work. And so sometimes challenges that happen and the holidays are definitely one of those challenges. They just repeat themselves because everybody's like, yeah, this is just kind of what happens at the holidays. This is just kind of what happens and they accept it. And, you know, you didn't stop with, Hey, we, built a structure into this one thing, you said, maybe we could actually solve that problem now that we've, you know, it's caused us to put the attention on it and build the structures and the communication and the kind of foresight and really future orientation of how are we going to manage this when this comes up? I guess it's anticipation is the word I'm looking for. You're able to anticipate needs because you're looking at things you probably didn't look at before. So Natasha, this was an awesome, awesome conversation. Would you, would you add anything? Do we leave anything out, you know, as part of the story and, and what you and your team, the good work that you've done to, I mean, this is what I think everybody has wanted to do is no longer work in a silo and start working collaboratively within organizations. To me, this is a great example of how we can take adversity and turn it into something really special where we work and, and honestly live in our communities. I just think this is a great story, but is there something we might have left out there at all that you want to make sure we mention? I don't believe so, other than I feel this same scenario was playing out at the same time all over the country in health systems. I, I While my health system is amazing, I feel that everyone in healthcare came together to serve the patient as best we could in something none of us had experienced before. So that's the only thing I would like to include. I'm just proud to be a part of the, an industry where there's so much concern for the human population and trying to solve problems on the fly. Yeah, there's, there's a great deal of meaning in it. Natasha, awesome job. Natasha Roberts, everybody, Strategic Sourcing Manager at St. Luke's Health System. Quite an amazing story and a great example of working collaboratively, especially during difficult times, and then taking that and doing something constructive and perpetual moving forward. Mm-hmm.
thank you for listening to this episode of the Armed Subject Matter Expert Podcast. For additional resources, visit our website at arm.org. That's A-H-R-M-M dot org. Tune in next month for another edition of the Armed Subject Matter Expert Podcast. Podcast.